Magic Podcast. This is episode nine, I believe. We'll have to verify that later, but we'll check and make sure. Um, joining me as always is Squiggly Bob. What's going on? As, how's it going this week? Uh, not too bad. Been a been a pretty good week. Yeah, same. Can't complain, I guess. Oh, I well, you could, but what what good would that do? What good would that do? <laughs> but at any rate, uh, and as always, I am your host Kyle. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Um, today, I wanted to go into a bit of a uh, change in pace to the podcast. The the course is the core is obviously going to remain the same. We're talking about my personal favorite subject, jank magic. Um, traditionally, so far in our previous episodes, we've tended to focus on how a deck has done, and it's come to my attention from a couple people that that's not necessarily what a lot of people want to hear about. Um, particularly, one of our best episodes when when we was when we were able to talk about how to fit approach of the second sun into a shell and so i'm going to kind of adjust the podcast and its its direction into more of a theory crafting podcast more than a results based podcast and today we have a specifically um exciting at least to me this is going to be an interesting topic we are going to see about um uh, making tree of perdition uh a little bit more jank, more on the jank side. Not that it isn't a jank card already, but we want to properly jankify it. So here we are today talking about Tree of Perdition. Um, you want to tell them what Tree of Perdition does? Sure, I can do that. So Tree of Perdition came out um, around the same time as uh, Emrakul, right? Uh, a lot of the cards in the set, um, the Shadows of Rindestrad and the... Uh, Oh man, what's the uh, the sister companion set? Eldritch Moon. Eldritch Moon, thank you. Uh, a lot of the cards had the, uh, I guess the foreshadowing of the thirteen thirteen flyer, right? We had uh, Triskaidekaphobia, which was the fear of the number thirteen. Oh yeah. Dealt with the uh, life totals and everything of like that, and then Tree of Perdition, uh, which is sort of the opposite of the uh, uh, Tree of Redemption, which was an older card. Uh, Back in, was it the original Innistrad set? I believe it was original Innistrad. I think I remember uh, that. So what Tree of Perdition does is it's a four mana, one black, three colorless, uh, 0-13 defender. And it has the ability uh, to exchange target opponent's life total with Tree of Perdition's toughness. And so, for example, if your opponent's at 20 life uh, and you tap the tree, the tree becomes a 0-20 and your opponent becomes a or life total becomes thirteen, so they basically lose uh, seven life. Absolutely. And so this this card when it first came out, everybody sort of jumped on it for the Triskaidekaphobia um, combo, uh, which if you don't remember that card, uh, essentially what happens is that in you're at the upkeep, uh, if you're at thirteen, you lose um, the game, and if you're not at thirteen, you can either lose or or gain life. It's a, a little bit of a a weird combo card and a, a jank card for sure uh, that allows you to set up an alternative win. Thank you. That's it. Yeah. So with um, Tree of Perdition, it allows some interesting tricks, particularly when you can 
change what said toughness is either with the likes of minus one minus one counters I'm not sure if that actually would work in the rules database but um, basically anything that changes the power and toughness we can kind of use to our advantage and uh, let's see was it yes it was Amonkhet that recently brought us a very special card um, which is also how I want to introduce the primary win condition in the form let, of let's, go ahead let's be clear that this isn't a special card <laughs> no, no this is, this is a gar garbage card <laughs> yeah, at, at the end of the day it's it's a limited playable at best but maybe yes yeah like it, it's a it's a limited get it out of the way for now spell but um illusory wrappings uh it's a enchantment for i think one in a blue uh, it's one inch, one blue, two colorless. Okay, so three total. Um, that basically states uh, power uh, target cre enchanted creature now has power and toughness zero two, um, but it does not state that it t causes said creature to lose any abilities. So we now have a zero two tree that taps and exchanges its toughness with target opponent makes it real easy for us to all of a sudden bring our our opponent down to two life which right. we, that's the concept obviously um concepts are just that they don't always work out very well um, but just imagine the shock on your opponent's face when they finally realize that they're about to be at two life just because you cast a three cost enchantment i think that's yeah. pretty this could be set up for turn five also. Uh, I mean, oh, if yeah. you wanted to use, like, mana rampers and uh, either, like, a spell that gives the, the tree haste or uh, the new one-drop in Amonkhet that you can give target creature haste. If you wanted to use something like that, you could actually, like, set this up uh, faster than turn five. Oh, dude, like... But, uh, oh, what is, what's, the, what's the casting cost of Champion of Ronis? Uh, it's four. So four. okay, so same basically. That would have been a funny way to do it, though. <laughs> That's um, such a crappy card. <laughs> uh, yeah, just imagine. Oh, I'm gonna exert this and get a free Emrakul. Luckily, that's banned. But anyway, um, that being said, so obviously the the it, and yes, it very well could uh, go off at like especially if we're using some like the. Oh man, there's a ramp. There's a couple of different ramp spells we could go with, but I'll, uh, it's it's difficult to get there faster than turn five, just because a lot of the ramp we have don't really turn on until turn three at the soonest. Right. So, it, so you, you could maybe do like turn one, turn turn one land, turn two like Naga Oracle or something, mm -hmm, and then turn and three tree, exactly. and then turn four. Yeah, but you're yeah. I mean, it's possible. Uh, you'd have to have like you know. The perfect draw, and it's unlikely. Yeah, but, yeah exactly. We can definitely hit this round turn five or, or six, probably with uh, with little difficulty. Right. So that that's you know that's that's um. In a nut draw, we would be able to go off turn four, and exchange their life total, but we would only have two open mana to cast whatever else we need to. Um, right, so this is this is where some of like the the deck crafting comes in, right? So we have an idea um, that we want to do, and that idea is to knock our opponent down to two life uh, or around two life with the tree of perdition. Right, and so exactly. once we have that, we have like the eight cards or so that make the combo, 
and then the goal from there is to build a deck that sort of supports that combo. And so then one of the ways that we do that is we need to see if like if it's a one or none combo, uh, meaning that there's only the illusory wrappings and the tree, and that's what we're banking on. Um, like the deck that I did whenever we first met, the Squiggly's Copter, that was a one or none combo deck. Either either I got infinite com or infinite thopters or I didn't. And there was really no other way of winning other than that. Right. Uh, but the co cool thing about tree is that it's pretty versatile, uh, as weird as that sounds. <laughs> yeah. um, but th there's a lot of options for it. And so we can start looking at some of those options to sort of like uh, support the main combo of illusory wrappings and uh, tree perdition. Yep. And so some of the alternatives that kind of just slot in nicely is there's um, obviously Trisc Triscodecophobia, which on its own is kind of like, yeah, that's that's pretty fun. And it's, it's cute. Like, you know, yeah, it makes your opponent salty whenever it happens. Uh, but here, it's sort of like a second win condition. If you throw that down, uh, you can either gain some life or lose some life, and you actually kind of put your opponent on the clock if you if you wanted to. Uh, but not only that, there's uh, Gift of Tusks, which is a card that I don't know if anybody ever played before in the history of Magic. Uh, <laughs> maybe in Draft a long time ago. Um, it's from Gatewatch, I believe. Yeah, right? both of the yeah. Gatewatch. And so what this card is, is it's one blue, an instant, and until tar in, until end of turn, target creature loses all abilities and becomes a green elephant uh, with base power and toughness 3-3. Three, three. So I think, and I could be wrong with this, maybe uh, someone could correct us in comments or whatever, but I'm pretty sure that you can, on the stack, um, tap the tree and then make it a 3-3, three, three, and then whenever the tree resolves, it will make your uh, opponent's life total become 3 right and so it's like sort of like a one one casting cost illusory rapids at instant speed I, granted yes that i i don't see any issues with that combo i don't no, think I, it would i don't think it would fail out due to the losing all abilities thing since his ability would already be on the stack right um even still, that's obviously just one other. And the, the, the Triskaidekaphobia option is off, obviously one that other people like Saffron Olive has explored. Um, illusory Wrappings obviously is a newer one, so obviously that one hasn't quite been explored yet. But I think the fact that Illusory Wrappings exists now is like that mm -hmm. last piece of the puzzle to make the deck potentially more consistent rather than right. hoping to draw it out like you've got the other options in the triskaidekaphobia and the gift of tusk and one more that we'll touch on here just in a moment but i think even though this deck was fun and it worked every once in a while it really is nice to finally have that that final option to really give you so you can have alternate ways so if you're drawing into your deck a little bit more you can draw into multiple different things that can get you there right um, and so then the question becomes like, how do you build the deck to to make that happen, right? Yeah. And I guess before we get into that, we can talk about the third option. Right. So the last one, um, I guess it would be the fourth if we're counting illusory wrappings, but it doesn't really matter either way. Um, right. Soul Separator, probably <laughs> one of the weirdest. Uh, I mean, the flavor is spot on. I love, mm -hmm. love, love the flavor, but like the way they had to word it, obviously somebody, this was, I feel like this was somebody's pet card 
that they just really, really wanted to push in, like, in through R&D or whatever. And so they're like, fine, you make the wording. <laughs> but <laughs> at the end of the day, what basically happens is you exile a card from your graveyard and you make a 1-1 spirit that is a copy of it. And then you make a zombie that has the same power and toughness. So the zombie doesn't capt capture any abilities, which is fine. We don't want the ability on the 0-13. The ability right. resolves on the 1-1, one, one, which is actually even better for our purposes. Yeah, sure. Um, it's very susceptible to all different types of removal. However, right. I would rather them waste a removal on a 1-1 one, one than, you know, potential other things. And that's just literally one version of it, you know? Right, and so Soul Separator is an artifact for three colorless and then five to activate, so this is still still happening on turn five. Yeah. Uh, so long as you can get the tree in your, your graveyard. But uh, I guess in the current standard, there's a lot of artifact hate, and so that may not be the best way to go, but it definitely is like another backup to the other backups uh, for a, a way to win. Yep. I mean, we're basically stacking win conditions. When it's only ever the one pair of four versus the other pair of four, and you're hoping that they don't take out your access to your one thing that you drew this game, now we're opening it up to you still need, sure, a Triskaidekaphobia, which with one of the shells I want to talk about a little bit later is a lot easier to get a hold of. But mm -hmm. then you now have the option of 16 cards that can help you complete that combo. The only thing you need to make sure of is you have access to the one piece. And that's, that is the tree of perdition. That's our kind of, uh, we need this card or else kind of thing. Right. But it, and soul separator does help out against like protecting from discard uh, protecting from removal exactly and, and all of those things so it can almost be like maybe a one or two of in the deck mm -hmm. and then if your card ends up in the graveyard you can always soul separate it back out exactly and that's that's kind of the the catch-all it's like the whoops okay so let's survive until i can draw a soul separator kind of thing and it is nice because if you do happen to draw it late game it's entirely possible to make it all the same time at end step if you can cast it or whatever the case is you know um right it is kind of nice that it, in a situation where you're depending on the soul separator oftentimes by the time you draw it you'll be able to go all out the turn you play it assuming you can survive that long <laughs> <laughs> right and that's part of like the the deck building, right? Exactly. You, yeah. You get these ideas, and you think of the scenario that's going to happen, and you're like, okay, how can I prevent that scenario? Or like, if you're if you're relying on soul saber, how do I live long enough to to fire one off? Or, or something right. Like that. And, and so, I, did you want to talk about the the sort of shell that you had in mind for? for yeah. Um. So, one of the biggest things going on in in the current standard meta, at least that seems more heavy than others, is aggro aggro is really big right now what with um the exert creatures um i have a buddy who's exploring a mono red um just all out exert deck that's tr that that's whole goal is to kill you by turn three to even beat mardu or like and then obviously zombies is a huge go wide but very quickly deck so 
one of the things I was hoping to accomplish in this particular show was to build around a delirium deck with the likes of um well for starters it will uh, enable one of the best tutors in the format in the form of traverse the uvenwald mm-hmm. um being able to fetch out the tree of perdition when i need it and also maybe some mana fixing in the early game if necessary and then also that's something that fits really nicely into this particular um delirium shell is ishkana um a super powerful aggro kind of a stop when delirium is active just one of those things that ishkana is just that all of a sudden you have some board presence and they're going to not want to attack into your little death touchers or whatever but right that helps you live long enough to to throw out the precisely (laughs) precisely so um, definitely guns up the board (laughs) yep and then uh, having delirium as an option makes it real nice because then you can use some of the new split cards to get to delirium faster like if you've got a problem creature you can cut it and then have ribbons as your win condition after you've or after you've switched um you know your 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 zero thirteen or whatever with their zero two you know etc once you actually make the thing happen ribbons is a really nice way to finish them off I mean, there's a, so the whole delirium shell feels like a really good place to put this, especially because it's already in the colors. Traverse is green. Uh, the the I mean, we'd have to obviously tap for uh, get some blue in there, but um, what is that? Teamer, I think it is. Black, green, red. No, that's Sultai. The black, green. Ah, oh, shoot. At this point, the the shell could go any number of ways, but. The, the colors that are absolutely required are obviously uh, black for tree, blue for illusory wrappings, and green for the uh, for traverse. But that's basically a good set of colors anyway. Um, and there's definitely ways to make people lose life in those colors as well. So um, I feel that Delirium could be pretty good in this nutshell. Yeah, I think Delirium's like a decent way to do it. Uh, I mean, if you didn't want to play blue, you could really just play Soul Separator. Uh, or if you wanted to do like a mono black, um, you could do Crypt Breakers and Soul Separator uh, to draw a lot of cards and discard your tree into the graveyard and Soul Separate it out. So that's one of the uh, one of the nice things about this combo that I guess I didn't realize before I started thinking about it was like how many options there actually is for it. Yeah. Because uh, when we look at it, it's kind of like uh, blue black. Okay, that's the deck, you know. But then you start examining it and start thinking about it. And uh, whenever I was doing that, I mean, I really like realized that there was quite a few options. And I'm leaning towards is uh, Grixis, uh, maybe in anticipation for Nicol Bolas. But uh, <laughs> until then, it, it seems like it's the best way to go. There's a lot of cards in Grixis that sort of just work well together with this combo. Uh, so you have all of the uh, direct damage from red, basically. And whenever you get them down to two or three, uh, however you're doing the life-changing, uh, a five, uh, incendiary flow. And uh, I had also talked to, or thought about using uh, cut to ribbons. I have like one copy in the uh, rough draft deck that I have. And the good thing about like cut to ribbons and all of the direct damage 
is that it also works well with Triskaidekaphobia, uh, because if they're close to 13, uh, then you can hit them with one of those cards, and then at your upkeep, they lose the game. Yeah. And uh, in order to sort of slow down the, I guess, the aggro, and also to sort of maybe have alternative wins, uh, I'm playing like a lot of walls. <laughs> uh, so I'm playing uh, four copies of Thermo Alchemist, which is just a pinger that whenever you can, whenever you cast into a sorcery, you can untap it. So if they're at 14 or whatever, I can ping them with that. Or if they're at 15, I can ping and then cast something and ping again. Or just hit them twice after they get dropped down to two. And then I'm also playing the four copies of Thing in the Ice because in my deck, I do have a lot of sorceries and instants. I think I'm playing uh, 17 total. Uh, so flipping a, a thing in the ice is also an alternative. Um, and then also two gar goblin dark dwellers. Uh, yep. Just so I can get those sorceries back. Right. I can wipe out creatures in the early game with the fiery tempers and things like that. And then flash it back at the end whenever uh, the opponent is at two life or you know, 16 life or whatever that, whatever I want to get them to. Uh, and then of course, tree of perdition. So I think the only non-wall creatures I'm playing are like the, the Dark Dwellers, which is kind of, I don't know, it's it's weird. I don't know if I've ever built a deck that had that was just like basically walls. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome to Jank. Right. Welcome to Jank. Yeah, that's that's why we do what we do. I just I just beat you with a wall deck. Uh. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think uh, I don't know. I like the Grixis uh, combination just because of the. The blue is easy to get out there, and uh, the red damage is nice. And then you have to have black for tree, of course. But black also has, you know, one of the best removal spells in the game right now under Fatal Push. So Indeed. can't really complain about it too much. Indeed. But yeah, I mean, you could go anywhere with this. I don't know if you, you could do, like, you know, almost mono blue splashing black for just tree. I mean, it can plug into, like, basically anywhere with Soul Separator. Yeah. And God, like the, I mean, you wouldn't even really have to cast it in that case. Like, it, you can do a mono blue and you know self mill with any of the potential options there in blue, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Wait, you only have blue mana? Why are you running a black card?" And it's like for this, <laughs> boonk. <laughs> right, definitely and, would I be mean, kind of interesting. Blue is the best color to protect your combo with, you know. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. Just preventing them from casting stuff. <laughs> I guess like, the important thing is, is whenever you're like cr trying to craft these decks just look at the things that interact well together uh, I mean like personally my first option is go to like mono blue just because that's what I like but in this case like blue really wasn't the best choice I didn't think uh, I just felt that you know the direct damage was more important than the counter spells and being able to only uh, have to play like you know uh, non double blue cards uh, that's a big help and so, I mean, these are just things you need to look at whenever you're, after you got that core combo, right? After you have like, this is what we're doing. Then you say, okay, what's, what's cards that are going to help that? And you did that as well whenever you were thinking, right? You were like, okay, well, what happens if we don't draw a tree? Exactly. We need to draw a tree. So Traverse Uvenwald is great for that. And then, and then that shifts you into blue, into green, you know? And so yeah. I think like, yeah. Exactly. And I mean, and then once you, once you land on a shell, you start to think about 
Oh, well, you know, since we're in this shell, you know what other card fits really well for protection? Uh, Ishkana. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's, or like in your case, the Grixis, just in case Nicol Bolas does how you, we actually, we already know <laughs> that Nicol Bolas is coming. We've seen it, but um, right. regardless, I, the, it does help being in a shell because then when you, I don't know if this is just me, but when I think of individual colors, it's hard for me to conceptualize what I'd want to add into the mix. But then all of a sudden I go into a specific shell, like for instance, Grixis, or I'll think Delirium, or I'll think Aggro, and then all of a sudden these colors start to make sense, and then I correlate this color with doing that one thing. It's like, oh, that's what I'm going to need to do right now because that's where I'm falling short, and it just helps bringing them all together once you actually realize you're in a specific shell rather than just throwing some fun cards together. Right, and you can kind of like, so I think so long as you keep your goal in mind, uh, I mean, like what it is you're actually trying to do at the heart of the deck, you can get rid of a lot of cards that are sweet or cool or even like sometimes good. You can get rid of those cards because a lot of times they may be unnecessary. And so, like you said, like once you start picking colors and like thinking about the different shells, you sort of have all these different paths you can kind of go down. And a lot of those paths will be dead ends. Uh, but if you keep at it and keep on like looking at it and thinking about it, then the right path will kind of... I guess I don't want to say magically appear, but the, the the right path usually sort of like stays while the other ones fall away. Right. Yeah. It's, it's you know there was just a, just as a brief example with the the new with the new perspectives deck I had been running I've been running for the past couple months or about a month mm -hmm. and a half. It I, for a while I was really worried about spot removing, like just getting rid of single creatures. But at the end of the day, I came to a realization that it didn't really matter if I removed individual threats. Because it really just thinned out what I was trying to accomplish. And I found that when I had a more direct route to that, in the form of more cards that work towards the end goal, I actually accomplished that end goal a lot more a lot more consistently even if they were able to get me down to like oh i don't know one to four life it's like yeah i'm, I'm there but i have a new perspectives in hand and the card to cat and the amount to cast it and i'm not gonna die this turn so carry on so it's just you know finding once you find out what a shell can do for you or what where, where it's weak or where you need to improve it even if it's not necessarily because of a weakness but because of an inconsistency it really kind of helps to bring in the deck, even though you know you can't do this one thing, it might not matter as much when your goal is to do this other thing. Right. Sometimes things that work good generally, like right, like spot creature removal or whatever is generally good, but in certain circumstances, it may not specifically be good to that. that yeah. yeah. You might, yeah, you might be able to ride like, you know, you might be able to ride the edge of life totals right you may you may consistently get down below five life and then swing in and, and finish what you're meant to do but right. as long as you're able to swing and finish what you need to do then yeah the, the the spot removal may not be necessary or it may be sideboard you know it may be one of those things that you you play a game against something that's completely aggro and you just can't stay on that edge uh and you have to bring it in but for for the deck overall i mean yeah sometimes things that work generally do not work for the specifics right basically basically the basically the concept so you just got to find what works and 
manipulate your deck so that it folds into a way that does work. So, but speaking of things that don't work, though, God, <laughs> oh, <laughs> Did, boy. have have you have you heard about Hascon? Uh, I've heard about it. I think we talked about it briefly at the end of one of the uh, past podcasts, but that was before anything had been released about it. It was just like Hascon is coming. And right. that's it. Like there was no information about it. And well, uh, except what was coming to it. Right. With the uh, iconic masters was mentioned to, to yep. build up the hype train. But I, I don't, I haven't looked at any of the prices or anything like that for it yet. I'm kind of scared too. Well, I mean, I was really hoping like people were, were really like, you know, Oh yeah, that definitely seems like something I'd go to. And then all of a sudden they released the pricing. So it's kind of ridiculous. It's sixty dollars for a one day pass, or a hundred sixty five for the all the entire weekend, three days. Um, on top of that, you have to pay sixty dollars per event that you want to participate in for each um, uh, uh, iconic masters set release extravaganza thing, whatever they're calling it. The uh, the sealed deck. Yeah, the sealed event. And, <laughs> it's it's outrageous like that they they're trying to be a premier event they've never done this before but they're trying to get they're trying to enter the game like their packs or comic-con or something right. it's it's so outrageously absurd just kind of this random like how, where do they get these numbers from is this oh hey that con does really well with this way so we'll model against that well i mean like where do you get those numbers that's just outrageous yeah i'm not too sure i'm looking at the site right now and it's i just can't justify like the 165 price for like the three days because i don't care about the rest of the events right right like if i'm gonna go i want to go and i want to like draft or i want to do the seal events like i couldn't care less about any of the other events going on there that day and so i think like there should be they should have like a magic sort of separate pricing like if you want to come and draft you want to come participate then like 20 bucks at the door come in and draft like you know pay still pay for the draft and everything but 20 bucks to get in don't go to any other part of the con <laughs> yeah like but, uh, even if they, they went so have... far as to separate where the drafts took place from the main convention people wouldn't care and like oh man and it the location i was i was weird about the location to from the get-go but when i found out that how difficult it is to actually get into providence from like anywhere else in the country like there isn't even an airport you can fly to in providence you have to fly to uh, like a, 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 a an adjacent state and then drive in it's I, like, how does that even i just feel like they made all sorts of really bad choices for this convention if it was centralized or if it was in a place where there's already a large mass of people that you're trying to target or even if they made it slightly less expensive like i probably would have paid 120 for a weekend visit you know yeah it's it's, still a lot more but yeah i mean because you got room and board you got the flights or the travel or whatever to get right and oh and that's not even like Man, they have like the the magic package. Yeah, the like six hundred dollar magic special. 
and it's a magic I, th- I can't remember what they called it it's like an extreme fan package or something like that I, I call it an extreme ripoff it was basically the only thing it gets you on top of what regular gets you is it gets you two events prepaid and then access to a 25 year anniversary magic the gathering party and then you get like these three promos that you can't even play the cards if you were able to play the cards in like legacy or commander or something it'd be one thing but they're silver bordered cards that like migrate different god it's uh, they, they they like like there's a lot of talk about like an optimus prime magic the gathering card or like a my little pony magic the gathering card or some crap like that and it's just how who are they targeting here like i just it's such a strange thing to like introduced to this set and it's just so weird the card thing is odd like you would think that they would just like make a playable card that has alternative art i mean they've done that like tons of times with you know whatever judge promos or you know whatever kind of card that just has like an alternative art for whatever like promotional thing they're putting out like why not just do that here like why not reprint something that's played in some of the eternal formats and slap an optimus prime on it or something like that you know, you know I think that the, would actually like make you want to make you want to go and do this thing i mean that would be a, a pretty big <laughs> just like because uh, i mean the the dunkin donuts vip lounge just isn't like selling it to me right although although you can snap a picture with mr and mrs potato head <laughs> oh okay maybe, i'm so that may be worth the 600 dollars. <laughs> totally i'm I'm definitely get i'm definitely game to pay 600 dollars to get a picture with mr and mrs potato head but yeah i mean no, we are kind of kind of underselling it right i mean you get a you get a swag bag and then you get like reserved seats to the panel and i mean meeting some of like the uh dev team and some of like other i guess magic gathering quote-unquote celebrities so i mean there there are some perks but it's i don't know if it's worth six hundred dollars but it's it's hard to, like even some of the even some of the magic celebrities like the big names uh we're talking like marshall sutcliffe and louis scott fargus and and some of the pro players that none of them are excited about this None of them think, oh, yeah, that's definitely worth going to. They're all like, eh, I'll pass. We'll see the spoilers on on, on Facebook and social media as the time goes. But, like, at this point, who's going to go? Like, you might have some diehard Magic the Gathering fans who maybe live in the area already so they don't have to do anything other than just drive there the three days. And I maybe then they'll do the weekend pass and do a couple drafts. But, like... <laughs> the pricing structure and the location and the i'm not nobody knows who they're really trying to target for audience i just feel like it's a complete miss all the way around yeah i mean i mean i'm not a big fan of like anything else hasbro owns like i don't really care about transformers sorry to our listeners who do and i don't care about my little pony uh but like maybe it's for those people i don't know Maybe. I mean, I, I definitely know my fair share of uh, bronies who happen to play Magic the Gathering, but, like, is that enough to, to make a $600 ticket worth it? Like, and, and at what, like, if they were playable cards, 
And, like, oh my god, I was thinking when you were saying that, like, if it was, like, a torrential Gear Hulk with, uh, like, Optimus Prime image on it, that would be awesome. Oh, that would be awesome. But, regardless, it's not. It's, I don't know, just the whole thing just makes it real simple, really strange, and really silly, and I I just really don't think anything's gonna come of it it's i think it's going to tank and i don't think there's going to be a a, a second annual hascon just because they're going to be like oh i don't know how everybody else makes this happen well hmm it's maybe. a possibility i mean they're kind of pricing out a lot of people but um, maybe i'm just not rich enough maybe i just don't know i mean <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe maybe there's a market for a, a people who will pay that money to go to do this event i don't know but yeah, they're probably just sitting on their fat stack of uh, black lotuses. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of, a guy yeah. at a uh, draft last week was, like, complaining because he had 55 dual lands, and he didn't know, like, what to do with them. Oh, and then get he was out also of here. Complaining. He was, his, his, but his big complaint was that he had seven Force of Wills, and so now he had to spend money to buy... Uh, another one to round uh, out the playset. Round out the second playset. Yeah, see, oh, man. some people have all all the bad luck. <laughs> I feel I feel like I know this type of person, and the sad thing is, I have not even really the sad thing. If they're in a place to have maybe been there when you they originally were out, good on them. That that's great. Oh, good yeah. for them. They like never never sell their collections or anything like that. Or like yeah. if they happen to be well off enough to be able to afford it, then cool, good for you. That's awesome. But like I feel like there's a point where you're not complaining but bragging. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like not a uh, not a backhanded compliment, but like sort of like a backhanded uh, bragging. Yeah, <laughs> like it's a it's a sympathy brag. It's like, oh man, I gotta change my tire on my Porsche. Bummer. <laughs> like, just don't get out of here with that. Like, really. <laughs> um, but anyway. Anyways, yeah, that's enough complaining. We've, right. We've, we've done enough. Oh man, but uh, speaking of um, complaints. <laughs> um, at any rate, before we move on from that, any last-minute touches on um, the Tree of Perdition deck or Hascon or any other topics we may or may not have touched on today? No, I mean, I think the plan is to maybe come back in a couple weeks after playing some Tree and briefly talk about that. Yep. Uh, not, not in depth. Uh, we're Like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, we're trying to get away from that. But uh, we do like to test out these things, and we do like to play. And so, oh, Absolutely. And I'm sure there's maybe one out of our 12 listeners who enjoys hearing about the outcome <laughs> of the, uh, the match. Yep, it's our it's our one in 12. <laughs> but no, yeah, so, so like, to, go ahead. I was going to say, telling magic stories, like, is weird, right? I don't know if this is universal, but for me, whenever someone's telling me a magic story, it's like, yeah, I already know the ending to this story, no matter what it is, because I've heard, like, a million magic stories, and I can kind of, like, guess where it's going. And so you don't really pay attention, right? But whenever you're telling a magic story, you're like super into it. And you think that the the person listening is super into it. But like in the back of my mind, I know they're thinking like, yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard this magic story before. And I feel like that's maybe what was happening with the podcast was it was a bunch of like magic stories. Like, oh, yeah, we made this play and it was sweet. And to us, like that's super enjoyable. But every magic player has heard a million magic stories. And so 
it's probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, perhaps <laughs> perhaps that's part of why it wasn't quite working. But hey, um, regardless, uh, as a uh, as a as a ad- um, amendment to the beginning of the episode, um, f- moving forward, we are not going to drop entirely talking about results. We're just going to touch on them a little bit lighter on each episode, and usually probably towards the end of said episode. Um, for instance, next week's closing, rather than complaining about Hascon, will probably be about our results with how both of our decks did, you know, just very briefly touching on, yes, this one worked better than that one, and that one seemed to do okay, etc., etc. That being said, um, nothing else? I got nothing. Okay. Well, then in that case, I want to thank everybody yet again for listening in to this episode of Jank Magic Podcast. We are findable, searchable on uh, both app stores, iTunes, and Android as Jank Magic Podcast. I am on Twitter as at Janky Magic, or at Janky Magic. Yeah, at Janky Magic. Um, And then we have jankmagic.com and twitch.tv slash janky magic um i haven't done any drafts yet but i'm planning to so keep an eye out for those keep an eye on the twitch and the twitter i will be reaching out um again i want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode and we will see you next time